All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Stoke the Wild. I'm Nick. I'm Joy. And we're really excited about this episode this week as we get a chance to talk to uh, a friend of ours um, that we, we've known for a long time and uh, who is a designer, uh, who's an artist, uh, a poet, and someone that we admire and think just is doing some really great work, and that is Chris Campbell. Chris Campbell, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chris, we're really uh, excited for you to join us today on this uh, this week's episode. Um, could you just kind of give everybody a brief background on where you're at, um, where you're at currently? Because not a lot of people probably know this um, unless they know you. But where you're where you're calling from right now for this episode, and then uh, kind of give us uh, a bit of your creative journey. Absolutely. So uh, at the moment, um, I'm living in Leeds, which is sort of in the very middle of England, uh, every which way you can imagine. Um, so it's about four or five hours north of London. Um, and as you can probably tell from my voice and the fact that I've known Joy and Nick for a long time, um, I'm American. But uh, I've lived over here just uh, just over eight years now. It was eight years last week, which is crazy because it's literally a quarter of my life. Uh, I moved here. I know, man. <laughs> it's really weird because I haven't <laughs> been back to America at all since then either. Wow. And what they say is um, when you leave a place, like, for instance, a city, but I imagine it applies with the country as well, that sort of you have to double the time that you've been gone because you've moved on eight years, but so has that city. And so in mm. a sense, like, I'm, I'm like 16 years away from America right now. And, like, that is a weird thing to, yeah, <laughs> weird yeah. place to be. It's um, like uh, when they talk about uh, if you you know break up with somebody, it takes you twice as long to like get over the breakup. Oh, if absolutely. You've ever heard that? Yeah. It's like that idea of it takes twice as long to realize you're you know in a different place or that mm -hmm. the growth has changed between two places. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just at that really weird point where now when people are asking me questions about America, sometimes I have to be like, you know, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> like it's it, it's been that long since I've been there. Like yeah. it, it could have changed really drastically. Um, but yeah. I, I moved over here to uh, marry my wife Rachel, um, who is English. Um, I met her in Chicago, sort of both of our last semesters in university, and I just fell head over heels. But she was very adamant that if we got married, I would move to the UK, and so I said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Yeah, because that sounds like a really bad, you know. <laughs> I would never yeah, do it. <laughs> who who could imagine like that ultimatum of having to move to the UK? So that <laughs> I know. Although it is weird because uh, you know in America we really we like fetishize the UK and we are like, oh man, like yeah. it's all pristine there and like everyone is smart and mm. probably attractive if you overlook the teeth. <laughs> And it's just sort of like, it's all Jane Austen. And if there's anything uh, bad, it's very Dickensian, like, oh, cheeky little scamp. And then, like, you get here, and it's a really rude awakening because, like, I grew up quite poor uh, all over America um, and saw, like, lots of crazy stuff. And so I thought, like, there's nothing that's going to surprise me in the U.K. In, in regards to poverty or anything like that. And then, like, the first neighborhood we lived in, uh, my wife was working with underprivileged kids, and so we moved to the area where most of them were living um, mm -hmm. just to get a feel for it. And mm -hmm. it was crazy. Like, broad daylight, dudes would just be, like, peeing on buildings and wow. cars and, like, mm. you know, drug deals, yeah. prostitution, all that, just like wow. any other major city, right. I guess. Right. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, anyway, <laughs> just a bit of a rude <laughs> awakening. It was like, oh yeah. my gosh, wait, this is a country full of people and people are everywhere. <laughs> and yeah. they're all sort of the same. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Now now I get it. Yeah, um, and, and, and people in certain situations will respond the same way regardless of exactly. culture. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> to uh, get back to sort of my creative <laughs> roots, um, like I said, I grew up in kind of like a super weird family. Uh, and by a lot of counts, like creativity and like academics, anything like that, should not really have been, you know, anything I was good at. Um, it, it all just came really naturally to me. Uh, so I had, like I said, a pretty crazy home life. And because of that sort of school, um, and anything connected to, you know, the idea of school um, really became like my safe space. That was what yeah. I could control. Mm. And, uh, you know, I got so much praise from teachers and stuff because, you know, naturally, I don't know, the way my brain worked, it was all the sort of stuff you need for school. It was like, oh, well, math came easy and English came easy and you know, science came easy. And right. I was just one of those really annoying people who I don't think I was any smarter than anyone else, but it just clicked in a way for me that meant like I didn't have to study. I didn't have to do any of that. And because mm. school itself was so easy, it meant that like any extracurricular activities within school, um, like I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, why not? And yeah. so it would be like, oh, hey, like there's an extra like art class. And even though I was, you know, really hard on myself, like I would have this grand vision for what I was going to draw or what I was going to make as a collage or a diorama or whatever. And then I would finish and I would step back and I'd be like, wait, what happened? This is not, <laughs> this is not at all like what I pictured in my mind. Like, oh, yeah. Devastated, and like I found out, glue was my enemy. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, but basically, I just tried my hand at sort of anything and everything you can think of creatively. Mm -hmm. And what I gravitated towards um, was just stories. Like that's the way I thought. That's what made sense to me. That's sort of how I interacted with people. Um, and I think a lot of that was actually like we would move around sometimes two or three times a year growing up. And so I very quickly became used to, you know, telling my story to a group of people in a way that just sort of like, you know, connected all the important dots right away. Right. Um, mm. And, you know, being a poor kid and moving around a lot, I also, you know, picked up some really bad habits. Like I learned, you know, you can tell people that your dad is an astronaut. And if you're moving away four months later, nobody is going to call you out on it. Um, <laughs> And so, like, you know, Pro I prove started... Me wrong. Pro exactly. Prove me wrong. Oh, yeah. Like, you double down, and people are just like, oh, man, I don't know. Like, that guy is real serious. I guess his dad <laughs> is an astronaut. Um, oh. But anyway, so I started embellishing, uh, you know, my story as I went on. Um, and because uh, I would move around so much, sort of one of my only constant companions um, were books. So I read, like, voraciously, like, just an insane amount. Um, and I quickly, like, read through sort of, like, all the books at my level. So by the time I was, like, six or seven, I was reading a lot of the books that 
like most of my friends would end up reading when they were like 12 or 13. Um, part of that was like my parents did not have any sort of filters with me. Like I watched Rambo First Blood when I was six and oh like gosh. I will never forget that. I was like, oh my gosh, should I be watching this? And everybody <laughs> else in the room was just like, eh, I guess it's probably fine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but because of that, um, I don't know. I, I think I got a, a real taste for... Um, just the diversity of stories that are out there, the many ways you can tell them. And what I would later settle into uh, was really appreciating stories uh, and art that comes at it from uh, an angle of an unreliable narrator. Uh, and I think what I loved about that uh, and continue to love about the concept of that is, you know, we all have like our internal narrative that we tell. And if you mm. stop and you, like, tell that internal narrative to anybody else close to you who's gone through the same stuff, it's, like, going to be so different. Like, yeah. there, are, mm. there's a lot of common points and a lot of common ground, but just, like, the outlook, the perspective, like, so many interpretations of events, it can just be really, really different. And I found that mm. fascinating um, because... I was someone who went through a lot of experiences that everyone around me, um, if they knew any of them, they, they interpreted them as, oh, I'm so sorry. That sounds terrible. Yeah. That's really hard. Um, and I, I was never one to, to like pity. I, never, I, I was really resistant to the idea that anything that happened to me that wasn't my choice could determine anything long-term about my life. Mm -hmm. And I just got really stubborn and rebellious about that. Um, and I think that's why, like I said, I moved into really appreciating stories with unreliable narrators because I'm like, oh, they're all the unreliable narrators. I'm the only one who knows the truth. And what uh. was amazing is then sort of coming to the realization, you know, in my early 20s, uh, just being like, oh, no. Like, I'm an unreliable narrator, too. Like, everybody <laughs> is so messed up, and we all think we know, but, like, yeah. none of us know. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I went to university for, obviously, with you guys, um, mm -hmm. my major was sort of uh, communications, but I got to pick what my emphasis was. So I think uh, I was the only uh, creative writing <laughs> communication study major our, our school maybe has ever had. I didn't um, even know that was an option. Well, it wasn't. It technically wasn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, <laughs> I just, I just took all of these classes, and that wow. was the majority of the communications courses I ended up taking. Like, mm. I dabbled with, like, photography, um, you yeah, know, and, and all that. sorts of other things. But, uh, yeah, my first love was always writing. And so it was writing mm. stories, mm -hmm. um, you know, performing in plays uh, and stuff like that. Uh, although in university, what, what was really life-changing for me was improv. Um, and obviously performed in you know one group with you guys quite a bit as well. But yeah. uh, I, I don't know how deeply that impacted you guys, but for me, um, it was a really profound change because obviously in improv, it's this idea of yes and. So anything mm -hmm. that happens on stage, you affirm and then you build on. Uh, right. And the, the language that you know improvisers use when they're talking about this, this concept is it's sort of like everyone on stage is weaving together a tapestry. 
And there are opportunities where if you deny what's been put on stage because it doesn't make sense on the face of it, it obviously creates a blemish in the tapestry. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you justify why that thing actually does make sense and you sort of create a a new pattern, then instead Mm -hmm. of it being a blemish, this thing that you look back and you're always going to be like shaking your head about, instead, like that becomes, you know, the anchor for the entire story. The the Mm -hmm. framework just changes by saying like, you know what? I'm not going to choose to see this failure as a failure. I'm going to justify this failure and make it a strength. And that was something that, you know, you learn on stage uh, while you're doing short form games or long form scenes. And it it made sense to me there. (laughs) But six months after doing improv, I just noticed, man, like, I'm really doing this same principle with so much of my life outside of, you know, just improvising. Like, I just found myself saying yes to a lot of things, facing my fears a lot more. Uh, It just sort of really took a lot of the weight out of fear to know that, like, failure is sort of your friend. Like, it's just, uh, that that was a huge, huge thing for me, Um, both as an individual and an artist. Um, And so in university, I primarily expressed myself through... um, you know, a lot of writing, so poetry, short stories, plays, um, you know, creative nonfiction, pretty much anything you could think of. Right. Um, but at the end of my time there, uh, I moved to the UK to get married, and suddenly, like, I'm in a different country, I'm in a different culture, <laughs> I have yeah. no contacts, and I'm like, hey, I'm the writing guy. True, I've done graphic design a little bit at school, and I've done photography a little bit at school. But, like, primarily, like, people are going to pay me to write in some way, shape, or form. And so, so that was, just to, just to clarify, that was kind of like your thought process and maybe even plan as you, you went over there initially is to say, I'm kind of going to lean into the writing aspect for ex- work and things like that? Absolutely. I just, uh, really naively and optimistically, I just assumed, hey, this is what I'm great at, therefore... This people is, will pay me for it. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is exactly what people are going to pay me for. Yeah. They're going to know when I tell them that I'm a writer, that like, wow, that's something that should be respected. That's something, yeah, of course we want you involved. Of course we're going to pay you to be involved. Especially in a land of great writers, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's sort of what I thought. And then I got here, and what you realize very quickly is nobody cares about writing. Everybody huh. thinks they can write. Like, the fact yeah. is... If you're a painter, um, you can be a really talented painter, and then somebody else walks up, and unless you're doing, like, I don't know, some really abstract stuff, their first thought isn't, I can do that. Their first thought is, wow, look at that. Like, that's amazing. I could never do that. Whereas, it doesn't matter who you are. If you read a novel, you're like, uh, you know, my novel might not be as good as this novel but i'm sure i could write a novel because i write emails and i write letters and i write and funny I just put stuff all that on together Facebook. and then i got a story exactly and so yeah. people what i found is as i would approach people you know for initially unpaid projects because when i first moved to the uk uh, the visa i was on wouldn't allow me to work but you could do oh. like volunteer projects sure. and collaborations that weren't paid 
And so I would approach people um, and I would say like, oh, hey, like, I really love what you're doing. Uh, I'm a writer. Like, let's work together. And they'd be like, oh, I mean, we don't really need a writer. Um, like, do you do anything else, though? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, I also do photography and graphic design. And they're like, graphic design? Really? We need a flyer. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm a little, like, butthurt that, you know, <laughs> you don't want me to do the writing because I know I'm a lot better writer than you, and I know that, like, 30 seconds into seeing what you've written, but that's fine. I still like what you're doing. I want to be involved. I'll do the flyer. And, uh, you know, so I did a flyer, and it's funny because at that early stage, like, every project that I completed felt like a massive victory, like... I'm a conquistador and I've just conquered this whole country. Like <laughs> when it's just like, it's a flyer for an open mic night, like chill out, Chris. It's not that big of a deal. Um, but like that's sort of like the skill set I was working with was so rudimentary um, that it was just like, yes, like I'm a God among men because I finished something and it looks good. Um, and over, over time uh, I just sort of had to accept that, you know what, like all the opportunities that were facing me here had much more to do with my visual skills. So graphic design, websites, anything related to that photography, video, that sort of thing. And so I was just like, well, man, like if I'm going to do this, I want to do this well, because yeah. mm -hmm. like, I don't know, some people call it arrogance, but for me, I just, I have very high expectations of myself. And I, I honestly believe like, if I find myself, why couldn't I be the best in the world at X, Y, Z? And so when I was like, all right, well, you know what? Design is where it's at. I have to make a living. Let's do this. Um, mm. I just was like, all right, all the books I can find, all the videos I can find, you know, all the everything I can find. Um, and it was crazy because for the first few years, I didn't really keep track of my learning in a very focused way. Um, I just knew, like, I read a lot, I watched a lot of videos, um, and I've always been really good at learning things quickly, um, mm -hmm. and so I saw myself getting better, but I didn't realize how seriously I was taking it until um, the first year when I, I finally, so was, this was four years after I'd moved to the UK, um, so four years ago. And I was like, this year, I want to get a job at a, a company that I really respect. And mm -hmm. I want it to be in graphic design. And I'm going to show them that, like, I'm the best friggin' candidate, like, they could ever, <laughs> you know, look at. Because so that, was like, that was your goal Yeah, yeah. years. Like, I'm going to get a job with a company I respect. Yeah, because, like, I had been doing design work and, like, freelance and at places. But to be honest, like, there weren't the sort of places I wanted to work. There weren't the sort of places that really wanted someone like me either who was super passionate. They more sure. just wanted someone to like, hey, do exactly what we say. We don't want you to, you know, uh, don't veer off the path at all. Just mm. do exactly what we say yeah. and, and we're cool with that. Which is but, less about yeah. art and more about following instructions. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And there's even uh, over here in the UK... There's actually a term for that job for designers. So it's called uh, an art worker. And what that is, is literally like you tell someone exactly what you want to do. And they might not be very creative in terms of their vision, but they have the technical abilities to use the software to make that happen. 
That's and crazy. so, like, literally, that's that's a job. And for me, like, that's a nightmare. Like, I would, mm. I would. It's just like pull out all my teeth and nails before that ever happens, please. So it was really hard, you know, at first getting into it and having to do those yeah. things and really butting heads and even also just like conflict cross culturally. Like one sure. of my bosses, mm. um, she would always say things like, "Oh." well, have you thought about doing it this way? And I'd be like, yeah, but that's a terrible idea. And I would just like <laughs> trash this idea. And what I found out four months into working at that place is every time she had told me like, oh, have you ever thought about this? Or what do you think about that? She was trying to tell me, this is what I want you to do. Um, uh... But because of like the fact that like I don't have a subtle bone in my body, and, like, <laughs> so much of British culture is based on the use and appreciation of subtlety. Um, mm. It meant that, like, yeah, I was really sticking my foot in my mouth so much. <laughs> and I just had no idea. I just thought maybe she was a really crabby person because it seemed like she was, you know, mad all the time. Oh, my gosh. But, but what it was is, like, I was just being, like, the biggest jerk ever to her. And yeah. I just had no oh. idea. Um, but anyway, so year four, I'm like, I'm doing this, like. I'm all in. I'm gonna. This is when I was like, I'm gonna get up at like 4 a.m. every day. I'm gonna like, mm. you know, hit this hard. And so I started recording, you know, how many hours I spent reading, listening to podcasts, uh, going to conferences, um, you know, shadowing people, interviewing other creatives that yeah. you know I wanted to, you know, be in a place where they were. And it was crazy because at the end of like 10 months, I had racked up something like 2,200 hours. And I just yeah. realized, like, this is insane. Like, yeah. Yeah. why do I have imposter syndrome and feel like I don't belong at, because I didn't go to school primarily for design when mm. the fact is I know that, like, all the other people who, you know, I'm working with at that same level, like, none of them do any of that learning. Like, a lot mm. of them are like, oh, yeah, I don't read books. I haven't really read any books since university. And they don't wow. take online classes and they don't really go to conferences. And a lot of them that were going to the conferences would just sort of, like, skip off to have drinks. And, like, yeah, that's a fun part of being at a conference is, like, seeing your friends <laughs> and, like, having a chance to get some, like, good food and drink. But, yeah. like, they weren't hungry in the same way that I was. Mm. And it, it was a real turning point for me. It, it was about the same time when I heard um, – this really simple phrase that is so silly that this had not occurred to me, but it's just this idea of like, don't compare your beginning to somebody else's end or don't mm -hmm. compare your middle to somebody else's end or any variation you want to do on that. Yeah. It was yeah, just yeah. this thing where like, because I had such high expectations for myself, I would look at like the best graphic designers I had ever encountered which, you know, some of them were, like, literally considered the best in the world. And I would be like, I'm trash because I'm not that good. <laughs> yep. yeah. And it's just like, what? Like, oh, my goodness. That is such backward thinking. Um, mm -hmm. And so. You know, you know um, real quick. Yeah. I was at a, just because I feel like it relates here, the uh, that idea of not comparing your beginning to someone else's end or your middle to someone else's end. I was um, I was at a school this week that I was invited to to do an arts presentation, and uh, that was kind of like what I was trying to communicate to these students, and uh, something that I I didn't have communicated to me growing up when it came to art. Uh, something that I've kind of recently discovered in the same way is that idea of like I cannot compare myself to the other artists around me 
um, to the point of like that unhealthy kind of imposter syndrome, detrimental, um, negative, you know, kind of, kind of thought process, but rather I can only compare myself to myself and like that collection of Mm. here's where I was at my beginning. Here's where I am now in my middle and here's where I'm going to be at my end, you know, or whatever. So I can see my progression and see that growth, those 2,200 hours or whatever from beginning to where you are now. And, and just that, uh, I can only compare myself to myself, not, not to the people around me. Absolutely. Um, and like, yeah, so that whole year was like a really interesting experience for me because, uh, basically what happened is, um, (laughs) I was working for this, uh, this Christian charity, um, and what they were primarily helping people out of poverty and I was doing, you know, social media and graphic design for them. And I liked that company, but there was really no room for upward progression in their design department. Um, and like, I had been very clear in asking about that and they had been Mm -hmm. very clear in saying like, we're really sorry. We only have like three roles for that. And the people who are in those roles have pretty much said they want to stay here for the rest of their lives. And yeah, like they were in it for like ever. And so I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I was like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, I've got to look for, you know, something else and I'm not sure what it's going to be. Um, and then, you know, like sometimes happens in businesses is, uh, that year somebody made a huge mistake. The, the, the person at the top of the charity, um, basically thought that they would make more money from like, uh, a couple of sales of land than they ended up doing. And so their budget ended up falling like half a million pounds short, uh, from what they expected. And so they're like, Oh guys, we're really sorry, but if you've been with us for less than a year, like it's first in, first out. Like we just have to say goodbye to anybody who hasn't been here for wow. a full year. Oh. Um, and I'd been there for 10 and a half months. Oh, um, no. Yeah, yeah. So like so close, but like not mm. quite. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, man, like this is, this kind of sucks, but like what am I going to do? Um, mm. And we had like, you know, four or five weeks notice. Uh, so I knew that I was going to have to find somewhere else. And so I was looking for jobs, applying for jobs, calling studios, uh, you know, just reaching out every which way. Right. Right. And what was really weird is I'd been doing freelance on the side for, you know, years and years before this. But, uh, for some reason, the closer I got to, you know, my last day with that company, um, the more work I was getting freelance to the point where like I, there, there were like three weeks where I was like, Oh man, I can't take any weekends like this week because I have so many projects coming in. And so even though like financially my wife and I weren't in the position, like most people will tell you to be in to start a business. A lot of people will say like, have three months, have four months, have six months, you know, money Mm. reserved. Uh, so you can just pay all of your expenses for six months and not have to worry about making any money, (laughs) you know, until the end of that, we had like, you know, like one month and like, that was all. Um, and we had, you know, one kid and we, we, uh, were pregnant with another and it was just this thing where it was like, oh man, like this is kind of crazy. Like 
what should we do? Should I keep applying for jobs and potentially have to wait like two months because the process here especially is really slow. I'm not quite sure what it's like in America just because I haven't lived there for so long. But like the job application process here sometimes can take, yeah, like six or eight weeks. And then you might find out at the end of it like, oh, yeah, sorry. Like he didn't get it. Um, Yeah, and that six to eight weeks that you haven't been applying elsewhere. Exactly. And so Rachel, my wife and I, we sat down and we were just like, all right. I can go for boring jobs where I'm gonna be, I'm probably going to be miserable, but, you know, the money is probably fairly consistent. I can sort of do the middle route where I do freelance as much as possible while I look for, you know, a really good job. But those jobs, they're kind of hard to find. And a lot of times, like, you, you have to, like, just happen upon it, you know, real serendipity sort of stuff or know exactly the right person be in the right mm-hmm. place at the right time. Um, mm-hmm. They're just very, very competitive. And so I was like, well, we could do that, but it's going to be really hard for me to like build a business while I'm constantly looking for a way out. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we can like go all in and do the really scary thing and just say, all right, let's just do this as a business yeah, full time yeah. right away with mm-hmm. like no planning, no anything, <laughs> No, no parachute. Like, let's just jump yeah. out of this plane and hope that we can build something by the time we get to the ground yeah. that will save us. <laughs> um, and so that's what we decided to do. And we thought, man, this is a smart thing to do. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know what? Like, in retrospect, I think it was the right thing to do. Oh, gosh. It was not the smart thing to do. It was so, so dumb. Uh, It just meant, like, for the next two or three years, like, life was so hard financially. Because, Mm -hmm. like, what you quickly learn when you're, you know, doing any kind of art uh, for a living is people are unreliable, just like they are in any other sort of situation. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, when when we were, like, you know, having a really hard time making sure that, like, I had made enough... Um, money off of projects, you know, in that month, it would be like sometimes I would have to try to pressure clients to finish a job two days earlier than they really wanted to because I'm like, that's when I need to pay my bills. Um, mm. <laughs> but like, you don't want to say that because you're like, oh gosh, immediately they're going to think, well, you're a terrible artist because mm. you're in this difficult situation. Um, and so I just would like not say anything and, and Mm -hmm. I would just sort of be like, oh, well, you know, I could probably get that done a few days earlier. Actually, I've got some extra time in my schedule and they didn't know that that meant actually I was just going to work like 14 hour days that week. Um, but regardless, like we made it work, but there were so many lessons, um, I learned about, you know, just like how much control you can really have over, over your life and, and your work. Because even though there are a lot of things I could have done better um, in those first few years, uh, consistently the things that hurt me financially the most had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with, you know, uh, somebody else. So a client, you know, their budget fell through, so they had to pay me four weeks later. And, you know, you're, you're like, okay, well, that's a really hard thing to deal with. Or, you know, even sometimes like, oh, no, like the electric company charged us way more than they were supposed to because they had an inaccurate meter reading. 
And then you call the electric company and they're like, oh, that's totally fine. We'll just like, you know, use that as credit towards, you know, your future bills. And you're like, no, but you don't understand. Like, I need, I need that, that money, money now. Um, and so it was a time when, like, I really started reflecting on, um, I suppose, a, a lot of things I'd heard about being disciplined um, and, and, you know, just being being responsible and it really had me questioning whether whether or not it was responsible for me to continue operating a, a business that you know even though the business itself is something I love doing the way I was having to do it was really taking a toll on me and also you know my family um and, and it of course then immediately led to thinking about failure and stuff like that a lot and what was really crazy is it it made me think back to that time doing, uh, you know, improvising, um, where, you know, failures are only as powerful as you sort of allow them to be, uh, in terms of, um, you know, your creative work. And so I sort of had to like adjust my outlook and there's this amazing article. Um, I think it was originally written, uh, in GQ, but it was this interview that they did with Stephen Colbert. And he talks about that concept of, of learning to look at failure in a different light. Um, and he talks about how, you know, he, if you look into his life, he's actually had a lot of, you know, really horrible, sad things happen. Mm, Um, and as he reflects on a lot of that, he said what helped him creatively and what helped him as a person to be able to not only cope, but like use those things as a source of strength and use his own failures as a source of strength moving forward was learning to love the bomb. And he talked about it uh, as, as this thing where like, if you can learn to honestly love the thing that is killing you, the biggest enemy in your life, then like, what is there that you can't do? And (laughs) it, it just was like, Oh my gosh, like that's right. Like, you know what? Let me change the way I'm looking at this. And so even though things were still really stressful, I just, I was being as disciplined and responsible and, you know, uh, assertive uh, and innovative as I could in terms of getting work in, in terms of making money, managing money, all that sort of thing. And, you know, slowly but surely, I saw a real uptick like in the quality of my work in the sorts of clients that I was bringing on and once then I had that little bit more money that was a little bit of a cushion it made it a lot easier to then start winning the sorts of projects that I wanted to be working on that paid the sort of rates I needed them to be paying Um, and it really just leveled up my my whole career and my whole business by just adjusting the way I was looking at things instead of being you know, really panicked and worried about, oh man, what happens if I don't like, you know, make X amount of money this month? I was just like, well, you know what? Like the fact is that's my goal. That's what I'm working towards. And like, instead of going, oh no, what happens if I don't do this? What happens if I don't do this? Let me just focus on making sure that I'm doing everything I can. And if I find myself in that sort of really stressed out space, recognizing that as a failure and then thinking, all right, how did I get here and how can I use that path that brought me here to like take me back to where I need to be? Um, and so it was really a, a formative time, really amazing. 
um, in terms of my business. And so now, uh, you know, uh, three years on past that, um, I'm in a really good place with my business. Uh, I'm working with uh, a couple of, uh, so a charity uh, here in Leeds that's working with international students. So I do a lot of design work with them. Um, I do a lot of design work with artists in America that I'm friends with um, mm -hmm. and sort of all over the world who, you know, just get in touch online. It's, the Internet's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also doing a lot of writing now for a startup uh, media company in London, which is super cool. It's basically um, a little bit like a UK take on Relevant magazine, but only a digital mm -hmm. version. Um, and that's that's been absolutely amazing because it's it's moving back to sort of that first love with with all of the knowledge and the context that yeah. essentially having a second career in graphic design has taught me. And so cool. there's so much more about the way I approach those stories um, that that is different because I know, well, actually, if I approach it this way, that's going to tie in really nicely with this visual that we're going to use. And, you know, um, so much of graphic design, uh, I said before we started recording, is... Uh, in a sense, it's complicated, but in a sense, it's just playing with Legos in a way mm -hmm. that makes sense for other people. Um, right. and, and the idea behind a lot of the design work I do is I want it to be intuitive uh, for people to absorb information um, because yeah. that is primarily what a business needs. Like if a business is saying like, hey, we need a website or we need a flyer, or we need, you know, a banner, whatever it is, they're looking to tell a story, and they're looking for people to absorb that story um, as effectively and as quickly as possible. And yeah. so some of the best design doesn't even necessarily look like the best design because, uh, yeah. like, you don't notice when something <laughs> works really well. You usually mm -hmm. only notice when something is really weird or right. when something really doesn't work. And yeah. I think weird is awesome, but I would, <laughs> I would much rather know that, you know, this, this, you know, design project communicated exactly as it needed to. And mm -hmm. it made so much sense naturally to people that they didn't even have to think about, you know, absorbing or interacting with that information. It just sort of automatically logged itself, you know, into their mm -hmm. database and yeah. it just pops up when they need it. And yeah. that's sort of uh, a real, a real interesting thing because I suppose in most other creative endeavors, like that would be kind of soul crushing if like, I don't know, if you're a chef and someone comes to your restaurant and they leave and they're just like, oh, I didn't notice that was delicious. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but like in design, I think a lot of times that is what you're, what you're aiming for if your goal sure. is to, you know, help this business tell that story well. And obviously yeah. there, there are times when you have an opportunity to tell a story in a remarkable way that uh, not only absorbs intuitively but also leaves a deep enough impact that people do go away going like, wow, that was amazing. But mm. unfortunately, that's not the sort of project you work on all the time. And even by definition, like, those are remarkable stories or remarkable methods. And so it makes sense that, like, those are fewer and further between. Um, sure. But as a creative, uh, it's really been amazing going through that difficult process of, like, building up from nothing, no safety net. Just, like, I am a notorious procrastinator. Mm -hmm. And I always get really motivated, um, obviously, right before something is due. 
Uh, but when you have like 12 things to do at once, like that just doesn't fly. <laughs> That's problematic. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you're just like, oh man, like, yeah, I yeah. guess I kind of have to deal with that and not procrastinate. Yeah. That's actually something that I was going to ask you about, um, was sort of like that time management piece. Like, that's really difficult for me too. Like I'll be, Oh, I have time to do this thing. And so I'll wait to do it. Um, and, or, or conversely, I'll think I, this time I'm not going to wait to do it and I'm going to work as hard as I can, as early as I can and spend as much time as I need to on it. And then there's no time for anything else (laughs) because I've obsessed over this one thing. Um, so that was actually something I was going to ask you about. It was like, how do you kind of create this this little this like schedule for yourself? I guess like, okay, I'm, I have this amount of time allotted to work on this project because I know that I have these other things lined up that I have to work on too. Absolutely. Um, so to be honest, like in the early days, like it was a pretty ugly method, and it's not okay. a method <laughs> I would uh, advise people do. Um, oh, okay. But it's something <laughs> that works for me. So yeah. In that in the beginning, I was just like, oh man, like I'm procrastinating so bad. What's gonna happen? Sure. What's gonna happen? Sure. So I was I like I said, I started getting up really early so I could be more yeah. productive, so I could mm-hmm. get stuff done. Because what I found was, you know what? If I get up really early. I'm not going to stop working in like two hours. Like I'm not going to need to go to bed two hours after I start. (laughs) Whereas like if I start working at night, you know, Mm. after I've had a whole day full of stuff, even if Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, nine or 10 at night, like there's only so many hours I'm going to get out of that before literally I fall asleep on my desk. And like that has happened so many times over the years, still happens Um, (laughs) sometimes just because, you know, you're, when you're a business owner, you're always like, ooh, I could probably do half an hour of work right now because I'm not doing uh, anything, and I've got a good idea. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so what I would do is I would be like, all right, well, 4.30 to 6.30 every day. I'm definitely working all of those hours. Mm-hmm. And what that ended up being is I might not have worked all of those hours, but I was mm-hmm. at my desk all of those hours, and – Because I had sort of allotted so many hours for being at my desk, it meant Mm -hmm. that when I fell down a YouTube black hole, um, Mm -hmm. you know, watching, you know, I I don't know, like ships crash into other ships or whatever (laughs) interested me at the moment. um, It was like, okay, well, I left so much time in my work schedule for me to basically just be an idiot that Uh. like I was still able to finish. Um, yeah. And over yeah. over time, I, I still actually, I suppose, use that method. I just use it in much smaller doses. So when I first sit okay. down at my desk, I don't think, you know what, the first thing I'm going to do is, like, I'm going to open this thing up and I'm going to start working. Like, mm. I know um, I, I've got, like, a process. So, like, when I sit down to work, um, I actually will usually open up YouTube for 10 minutes. And I'll just watch 10 oh, minutes wow. of YouTube videos. And then I'll yeah. go, okay, well, you know what? I had a taste of what's new in terms of like the things I'm interested in and I can be thinking about those while I'm working on stuff and I also had a look at you know what things I want to be looking at later so let me just put that to the side and then I can sit down I can start working um, and you know then when you finish a chunk I go okay well you know I'll take a break now and I like Mm -hmm. to mix it up Mm -hmm. as well um, just because I find like most things that are habits in your life Um, habits are only effective for so long before, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they really just like, 
I don't know, it's like salt that's lost its saltiness. It's sort of like, yeah. oh, this is only here, you know, for you know for the sake of it at this point um so i like mm, to mix things mm. up uh personally i like the pomodoro technique um if you've ever heard of that it's sort I of like not. okay so you can get like apps on your phone or your computer for free mm-hmm. or like you pay a little bit whatever uh, but it's this idea that like you work for 20 minutes and then you take a five minute break or you work okay. for 20 minutes take a five minute break and then okay. like um you know every like however many cycles of that then you take like a longer break that sort of mm. thing. Um, okay. Okay. And, and so really, like, I suppose, yeah, I'm, I treat myself in the same way I would treat a child. Um, I, have, <laughs> I have, like, really high <laughs> expectations of my behavior, but I also yeah. know that I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to mm. be, like, that dog being, like, uh, a squirrel? Like, and so <laughs> I just have to, like, leave enough room for squirrel hunting in with my work that like yeah. it's okay and I, I've just sort of developed habits that have helped me to stay on task stay focused and recover okay. faster when I do have um you know yeah. those interruptions and you know one, yeah, of the, yeah. one of the things as well is you know working from home like a home office is great for a million different reasons but one of the things that's just difficult is like I have three kids now and right they will constantly just come in here and they'll be like, oh, I bumped my arm. Can I have a kiss? Or they'll be like, hey, you said you were going to fix that toy. Have you fixed it? Uh, yeah. That's great. Or just randomly, they'll just be like, hey, so, hey. you know, let me ask you this random question about what kind of sound cheetahs make. And yeah. it, it's surprising, actually. Look it up. Um, it's it's yeah. weird. Um, <laughs> they are they are the beautiful interruptions we do not plan for. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, like, at first, I found that really frustrating. And it made me, like, really mad. Because, uh, again, I'm like, oh, these outside forces, they're influencing me. And, like, outside... In- <laughs> I should be the only one who can ruin me, okay? That's, uh, my, yeah. that's sort of, like, my life motto. And so... And that's when you go, yes, and? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually... Uh, I read this article from another business guy who's also a designer um, who he was talking about working from home and having a similar problem. And he said that initially, like he responded really stupidly the way I was, where he just like got really frustrated by it the whole time. And then he was like, you know what? Let me just have a policy where if my kids come in, I I always have five minutes for them. And Mm, it it let me just invest in that possibility in that way mm-hmm. and say like, mm-hmm. all right, if my kids come in and they interrupt me, I'll always have five minutes for them. Unless, you know, you're in the middle of a meeting or whatever, then like mm-hmm. I'll stop, I'll talk to them, I'll do whatever. But if it's over five minutes, then they know that it's going to have to be something that waits. And I know mm-hmm. that I need to leave room in my schedule for those distractions. And so yeah. essentially I did the same thing I did with YouTube, but with my kids and I just sort of had to like <laughs> realize that again, like there there are going to be these obstacles that come up that slow you down, and so that means you know maybe you quote an extra day longer than you think it's going to take because you would rather deliver it on time than yeah. you know let someone down, and you know sometimes you deliver early, and if mm-hmm. you you know go above and beyond for people, um, they're going to be really happy about that. And it was really just, like, incremental changes in how I approached what I was doing that, Mm. you know, made so much room for, you know, my family. And I don't know 
you know, what my kids are going to be like in 10, 15, 20 years. But I do yeah. hope that after, you know, having spent, you know, the last three or four years in a situation where almost any day of the week they could come in to me pretty much any time and have at least five minutes with me um, and have that attention, you know, I hope that that does make a positive impact. I hope that is a worthwhile yeah. investment. Um, yeah. You know, um, sorry, go ahead. No, no. <laughs> okay. Well, so I work with young families, yeah? So I do social services with families who have children aged prenatally up to three years. And I'm loving what you're describing right now. Like, all of the bells are ringing because... Uh, that's exactly the kind of thing that we try to encourage and promote in the families that we work with. Um, studies are starting to show that even if it is a short amount of time, five or ten minutes, uh, the intentional res uh, response to our children fosters more attachment, which um, has such a huge impact for their adult lives, which uh, we didn't have the research for you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, but now... Uh, there's a lot of research indicating that if your child um, approaches you and wants your attention and you give it to them for somewhere between five and ten minutes, um, it lowers their risk of depression, anxiety. It makes it so that they're more likely to get good grades in school. They're more likely to have a decent career when they grow up. They'll be able to. It, it's crazy the impacts that it has uh, because it's fostering this attachment piece, this um, security where they know that no matter what, they can approach a parent with a need or a desire and the parent will respond. It's all about that response. Mm. Um, so this is super exciting. And I, I love it. That that part of me, you know, in social services is like, this is so great. This is so good. <laughs> so it's really awesome. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, and yeah. I'll file that, file that away for later and say, yes. <laughs> oh, of course, that totally feeds into this, uh, this strategy that I have with my kids. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I would say I have learned a lot. Um, I would say the, the, the two things um, outside of what I've already mentioned that have been really important for me to learn, I suppose, about myself is... Um, and these have been sort of in the last three years as well. I feel like, man, starting your own business is like, you learn so much if you, if you do it right <laughs> or if you do it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, either way, yeah, there's a lot of learning. Yeah. You're gonna learn a lot. Um, yeah, but uh, one of the things is just uh, realizing that for me, um, probably like my greatest skill. And this is something I've tried to incorporate in my business in a lot of different ways. My greatest skill, I think, as a creative isn't necessarily like my writing or my design or my photography. My greatest skill is really like I, for whatever reason, am wired in a way that I learn and I love learning and I just do it all the time. Like it's like an insatiable hunger. Like my tagline is I always say, um, I'm insatiably curious and always learning. Uh, and it, it really is just as true. And like, oh my goodness, if I was not just wired that way, like I have no idea how I would be able to do the sort of work I do because yeah. there are times when someone will ask for something that to be honest, it's, it's impossible. Like they're asking for things that don't make sense. Like that's an yeah. unreasonable request. Mm -hmm. And because of the way I'm yeah, wired, the concept of what they're looking for is 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 different than what is you're capable of or what is what is available. 
to exactly. anybody because they see something that they cannot express clearly. Exactly. And so it's really great for me to be able to then do one of two things to be able to rely on that that learner's skill and go, well, you know what? I'm confident I can make that happen. <laughs> it's my son. There, here's a here's a beautiful interruption that just just walked in the room. Hey, Dan. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. No, continue. no, it's totally fine. Um, so yeah, I can either take that learner skill and go like, you know what? I don't know how to do that, but I know I can learn. So let's add one extra week to this or two extra weeks or whatever it's going to yeah. take. And like, I, I'm confident I can make it happen. And time after time, I've seen that work. Or you take that learner's approach sort of the other way and you say, listen, I, I, I hear what you're asking for, but I don't really see the reasoning and the need behind it. I need to spend a couple of days with your team to better understand who you are what you're about and how you operate right. and and being able to then apply that to just examining very quickly external systems seeing how they operate noticing areas where they can get better and then using that context to look at the project again and go oh this is exactly where we need to go um yeah i feel has, like that comes back to that that idea of improvisation again that you've been talking about throughout this whole thing of like what you've learned there, but in a practical real life sense of saying, okay, what do I need to learn from this quick interaction, from this quick moment that maybe I wasn't quote unquote prepared for that now I can build off of and just continue to turn into that anchor point for what I'm working on. Absolutely. I mean, it ties together so, so much into that. Um, and then the second thing, uh, this is less about business and more about, I suppose, internally as a creative, the way I think um, about some of the work that I do, uh, especially work that is more for me um, than necessarily for anyone else. But um, like I said, writing was always my first love. And one of the things I did a lot uh, in America was I wrote and I performed poetry. Um, and that was like a huge part of, you know, my creative outlet. Yeah. I would write, you know, tons of poems every single week, perform, you know, every single month. Um, and, and I really thought like, oh man, like this is an integral part of who I am. And then when I moved to the UK, I just, I didn't see any opportunity to perform or to share what I was writing with hmm. anyone. And so there was a little bit of a time where I just kind of stopped writing, but for the, excuse me, for the most part over the last eight years, I've still continued to write and I just wouldn't really share it with anybody or I would share it maybe with some writing partners back in America. Um, but I just assumed like, you know what? I think maybe my experience is just so different to the people that I, I knew in the UK that hmm. these these poems, these stories, these pieces of myself that I was writing down, I just thought there's no audience for the this here. You know, this is not something that people will respond to. Um, and what was really crazy is this last year, uh, Micah Bournet, who you also had on, uh, and yeah. I, we uh, we spent November doing a spoken word tour all around the UK. 
um, just performing, uh, you know, telling stories, uh, you know, writing poems, uh, performing poems, and just getting to know people, really figuring out what the scene was like um, all across the UK. And yeah. what was amazing was time and time again, these stories that because a lot of my poems are, are just stories. It's just what's happened in my life and sort of my perspective on it. Yep, um, yep. And it was amazing to see these people who were so different from me uh, respond so powerfully to a lot of what I'd written. And that, that was just such a shock to be like, wait, you know what? It doesn't really matter if, if I am afraid that these won't be powerful here or if I don't know if these will be powerful here or even like I don't know why this art would ever impact anyone here like a huge role uh for me like a huge responsibility as an artist is just to sort of create that art and give it a platform so that an audience has a chance to react to it and mm -hmm. if they react to it and it impacts them like that's amazing if not like that's okay too because yeah. like this was in particular like my poetry it, it it tends to be more for me um than than for anybody else necessarily and that was just like a really big thing because i think it's easy to look on social media um and just be like man like all these people in their instagram stories being like what up everybody like what do you think about this new poem i wrote and i'm like you've never been published like you don't make a living off this you're not doing like you are not famous for this you're not famous and yet like so many people are very confident in in having a following and for me like having a following feels really alien because mm. i'm just like a normal dude and it doesn't matter like if i was the best poet in the world i would still just feel like yeah but i'm just like a normal dude and so that concept I'm just of like a normal dude yeah so that concept of like someone being so interested in or wanting to follow your work or your life like that's really hard for me as a, a creative to reconcile um and i don't know if you know some of that is like maybe self-sabotage or whatever but or maybe just like the fact that I have such high, um, you know, expectations for myself. I'm like, well, you know what? Like, even even when I think like, yeah, I'm really awesome. I'm also like, yeah, but I also totally suck. Like, I've got 500 million like yards to go before I'm where yeah. I want to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's just really interesting to me, uh, and it was really freeing when I was thinking about this recently, uh, because I'm finishing up a, a book of poetry that will hopefully be published next year. And it's just sort of like, I don't know, you, you bounce back and forth between being so certain that the quality of the work is really strong mm -hmm. and that there is an audience out there for that work and also feeling like, I don't know, like <laughs> maybe this is totally going to flop because like nobody cares because like, yeah. who am I? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I feel very similar. I, um, I've, I've kind of been reflecting on that for the last few months, um, myself and just that idea of like you know what there like there's a certain level of um you know for lack of a better word recognition that as an artist you want to have i guess or you want you're hoping that you have just enough maybe it's to pay the bills maybe it's just to simply uh garnish opportunities for other work that you want to do eventually but I, I i've been trying to i've been trying i guess to accept this the simple fact that ultimately 
the work that I want to produce and the work that I want to be known for is the work that like means the most to me and impacts me the most and is less about how anybody else accepts it and more about what I can produce that helps me accept myself. Mm. And um, like I want that to be like I, I, I want that to impact other people, but not at the expense of of how. I guess, uh, I guess of how I, I put myself out there, you know, and that, that idea of I'm not just going to do it because I hope it gets a thousand likes, or I'm not just going to do it because it's the popular style or thing to do, but because this is what I enjoy. And then if I enjoy it, hopefully other people will recognize it and enjoy it as well. But if not, that's okay because I've done it for me mm. and it can fail. It can succeed. Either way, I'm continuing to put the stuff that I care about out there for my sake and my sanity and less for the people around me. Absolutely. Agree 100%. Let me ask you a question, Chris. Um, just as we kind of transition here a little bit, uh, you're talking about portfolio, you're talking about the improvisation, and even uh, just thinking back to when you're talking about Stephen Colbert <laughs> and that idea of using failure um, as, as or, or uh, loving the bomb, as, as he put it. Uh, you've had that experience of of putting together a portfolio, getting some of this work, what does it look like, you know, if, if there's someone out there who's who's trying to put together their own portfolio or thinking about what the future holds for design or graphic work or even writing and crafting mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a, a think piece for people to look at or for clients to look at in hopes of getting hired, what are some tips or advice maybe you have that we could use and um, to better ourselves or put us into a better position in hopes that, you know, people will like what they see? Absolutely. Um, well, I'll start off by saying, you know, this is my advice. This is one person's perspective. I've met a lot right. of other people who are, you know, all different ends of the spectrum of success uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, who do things differently. But for me, what I found works the best for my personality is uh, if I'm crafting a portfolio or my resume or, uh, you know, a, a cover letter, whatever it is. Um, for me, I'm writing it with the intention that they will bring me in. So I'm looking at that as like a handshake. It's just a snapshot. It's one of those things where it needs to have enough razzle-dazzle to get you through the door, and then you do the rest in person. And the, right. the biggest mistake I see, um, and I, I've you know fallen on this a million times myself, is we can agonize over what to include or what not to include or how it's presented. And it's good to, you know, put care and detail and attention into those things. But the fact is, what matters most is you. And they're not hiring a portfolio. They're hiring a person. And they know that. So if you just communicate enough to, to let them know honestly and authentically who you are, what you're about, and what you can do, then nine times out of ten, that is going to get you through the door if you would have been a good fit, okay? And from okay. there, it's all about having the the courage to, you know, just be honest about yourself. And so, like, <laughs> there are some things I'm really good at, and there are some things I'm really bad at just because I've never had to do them. And so <laughs> when I've worked with design studios as a freelancer or in-house, Um, One of the big things in interviews is I just talk exactly the way I would, well, like with you here. 
And so I'll be like, oh, hey, have you ever heard of this book? Like, this book really influenced me. And like, oh, I kind of suck at doing that, but it's just because I've never had to do it. And like, you know, I kind of taught myself. So there are certain, you know, habits I have that are good and some that are bad. Right. Um, And people consistently tell me like, wow, that was such an amazing interview because you you weren't playing a game. Right. You, You were just honest about yourself. And you were like, hey, if we're a good fit, that's awesome. If we're not, like, I don't want to work here then. And, and you offer you offer transparency that way. Yeah. And I think, like, that's all you can do. And so as you're putting stuff together, just, just ask yourself, like, you know what? Like, is this me? Is this honestly what I want yeah. to be doing? And I suppose the other side of a portfolio is just something to watch out for is oftentimes you might feel like, oh, man, I have to put so many diverse pieces of work in here just to show that I have range, show that I can do that. But the fact is what you put in your portfolio is what they're going to expect from you moving forward. And so if you put a bunch of projects in that you think are boring, they're going to be like, oh, well, this project came through. It's a little bit boring, but you know what? I think it would fit right in with what Chris or Nick submitted on their portfolio. Yeah, with their other boring work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so then they might be like, okay, well, I guess that's that's the sort of work this guy wants to be doing. And so I think, like, if you have the choice of putting in 20 pieces of work and only two of them are what you're really proud of, um, just put the two in. And you know what? Worst case is they go, like, dang, like, you haven't done much work, but, like, you've done some killer work. Like... We need yeah. to get you in because, you know what, it seems like the only thing you're lacking is opportunity to do more work. Whereas if you do 20 pieces, only two of them are good, they're like, uh, okay, well, this guy's done a lot of work, but not very well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like um, uh, in, in some of the stuff, like uh, I, I haven't done a whole lot of freelance work, um, but the some of the stuff that I've put out there and, and for, for clients and stuff that I've received – a lot of times I'll I'll put like you know my three or four best pieces or or things like that and then I'll uh, kind of submit like a little tag on there saying you know more work available if interested mm. so that way they have the opportunity if they do like what they see to request some more that maybe then I can curate and continue to present if they're looking for something maybe a little bit different but I'm not just throwing it all out there so that way they see the smattering of different things like you talked about absolutely or like someone like you you put up so much work online I know you're really prolific in your drawings and stuff it's like you've got so much if you just like threw everyone your zipped folder with all the work you've done over the last however many years uh anytime they said hey can I see samples of your work like right. you're gonna overwhelm them as well so it's like I don't want to look through 200 pieces or whatever yeah yeah they're gonna be like oh dang like what in the world like this guy is too intense for me <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thinking about, um, think, thinking about a portfolio and thinking about putting yourself out there. How have you, um, you, you talked about this a little bit again, but how have you, how, how have you learned from those moments of, uh, for lack of a better word, rejection that you've then bounced back from? So, Hey, I'm going to change this or approach mm. this differently because, you know, I, I wanted to work with this client, um, but that didn't work out. 
they said X, Y, Z about what I'm doing. And so I've made some adjustments for the next time I get a chance to present for somebody else or for them again in a year or whatever. What does that look like for you? Yeah. So this is, this is something that, uh, I think actually every creative should really spend a lot of time focusing on, um, is because in in a sense, like you're selling and like you want to sell honestly, but it's selling. Um, and in sales there, there are just sort of patterns that you can fall into that work and patterns you fall into that don't work. And obviously you have to read people and everything, but consistently for me, I have, um, sort of, uh, a standard procedure from the very first moment someone contacts me to uh, you know the the handoff of all files at the very end and getting feedback from them um, and testimonials like at the very end of a project. Um, I've got a really thought out procedure for how that works, and okay. to be honest, initially it was literally just like, okay, what do what makes sense to me, and so I included all of the steps that made sense to me. And then I started trying it and, you know, some of it worked really well, but what, what changes things the most is when, when you notice that a problem occurred and it's because you didn't have a safeguard in place or you didn't have a step in place or you didn't have this in place. So I I think for me, most of my learning and adapting around that front has been less, I suppose, focused around, uh, you know, 12 people told me no and five people said yes. So how can I get that five to seven or eight? And I focused more on just saying, all right, well, what went well, um, you know, in the pitching and Uh focusing on that. And so whether or not, like, I suppose I won the project, um, there, there were projects I won where I really biffed the the proposal and there are projects, (laughs) um, where I like totally nailed it. Like, all across the board like home run like mvp of the game and yet they didn't go with me um and so i think there is just a certain degree of like being comfortable with that rejection and just going like all right like there are a lot of things that could uh, impact why they chose not to go with me um and unless it's a really clear reason um that either they've told you or you've observed yourself or you know a good friend of yours has like pointed out i say well you know what i can't change that but what i can change is this was a problem how can i avoid that problem let me add in a step that makes it to where um that problem doesn't pop up so for instance like if you have problems with people paying you on time, you might say, okay, well, I'll take X amount as a deposit. Then they pay X amount, um, you yeah. know, before I send them the files. And you know what? If that doesn't work, because with some clients it still doesn't, you might say, all right, well, after that, I charge X amount per week uh, until they do pay me. Um And like, or, you know, some people will adopt a a strategy of, you know, putting companies on blast and saying, you know, these people are X week late on paying me and they'll, they'll put it on a website that's, you know, pointing to that company. I don't necessarily advocate for that. I'm just saying like, it's up to each of us to notice when things don't go the way we want and Mm -hmm. just add in really simple strategies to fix that. And the, the minute something comes along where you go, you know what? I'm not going to follow my normal pattern. I'm not going to follow my process. That is like guaranteed to be when problems arise in projects. Because mm. <clears throat> with a project, you want it to be 
consistently, you know, quality, repeatable, um, good for both parties. And the only way that works is by doing what you know. And as soon as you start like playing fast and loose, um, there's just there are a lot of things that can go wrong because there are so many problems in communication and in business um, and in creativity that you, you're not aware of until you you know are hit smack dab in the face with the the after effects and you're like mm -hmm. oh wait that's what happens if i do this okay well that was really dumb um no way i could have expected that but now that yeah, i know it's the cause and effect yeah of everything exactly all right uh well let's um we, we have a segment on the show where we uh we we call what we're going to do today and we talk about projects we're currently working on and uh, so if you if you want to join us for that, Chris, we'd love to have you. We're going to talk about uh, some of the things that you're working on, some of the things we're working on. So, Joy, you ready for what we're going to do today? Yep. All right, here we go. Chris, what are some projects that you're currently working on? If you can share them with us, uh, I, I know there's always client and uh, um, you know client privilege and stuff like that for some things. Uh, but if there's projects you're working on or personal projects you're working on uh, that you'd like to share with uh, our listeners, what are some of the things that you're doing currently? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, like to me, the two most interesting projects I'm working on at the moment. Um, one is, like I said, I'm finishing up uh, a book of poetry. Um, it's the first one that I've ever written. Um, even though I've been writing for like 10 plus years, um, as soon as you start writing for a book, oh man, it's totally different. Uh, and especially <laughs> Overwhelming, is it? Exactly, exactly. Um, and especially because I'm, I'm writing this book um, focused uh, quite a lot on like growing up, um, like the experiences I had growing up. Um, and then also like how that's impacted me. And then like, now that I'm a, a, a parent as well. And so the, you know, the loose title that I've been working on for a while is, uh, hold on to your children, uh, which actually, um, if you in Chicago on the CTA, they have these signs that just say, hold on to your children. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I saw that, you know, when we were in university and it really struck me and it was just like, yeah, hold on to your children. And, like, it was just this thing where I, I, I look back at my life and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, my parents, uh, you know, look back at the way they held on to me or didn't hold on to me. And then looking at, like, you know, the struggles that I have now. Um, and then mm -hmm. also looking to the future and just being mm -hmm. like, oh, man, like, my, my instinct is to hold on so tightly, you know, to my children. But knowing mm -hmm. that, like, so much of what's made me the person I am today and given me the things that I celebrate so much about myself um, were painful things. And I've got to let my children go to sort of explore that on their own. And obviously right. I'm, I'm here for them, you know, hopefully, you know, in their adult life, they'll, they'll run into my office and ask for, you know, the proverbial kiss my elbow. I heard it like they do now, but I mm -hmm. don't know. And, and just knowing that like, it's a big crazy world out there and I can't hold on tight to them because if I hold on too tight, it's, it's going to hurt them. It's not going to yeah. serve them well. And there, there are, yeah. there are beliefs and there are biases I have as a result of my traumatic upbringing that I can't put on them because it's not fair, it's not right, mm -hmm. and it, mm -hmm. it's not honest or natural for them either. And so it's just this 
yeah, it's this really interesting thing of like, I don't know, like balance and tension, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's like my baby. Um, outside of that, the <laughs> the project I'm working on that I find super exciting is uh, that uh, uh, media startup company in London. So it's called Soliquidos. Uh, it's sort yeah. of supposed to be solid liquid gas, um, sort of encompassing like you know a lot of transition, changing states, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's it's basically the mission statement is to um, look at stories and topics um that christians in the church often overlook often don't want to dive into um and just say like let's get into this let's be honest about this let's tell Mm -hmm. this story like in a way that is real not in a way that's easy not in a way that like makes it you know nice for us Let's just sure. let's look at the reality of this. And yeah. uh, it's still, mm-hmm. you know, in super early days, like literally just launched like a week and a half ago. Uh, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's really cool. Even it's just like every day I'm writing, you know, uh, an article on a musician or an article on someone doing, you know, work in, uh, you know, a neighborhood in London um, that, you know, has a lot of, uh, you know, social issues and just like mm-hmm. really getting to grips with, um, what's different about you know the stories in different places, and also what is so universal? Um, mm. So much of who we are and what we are uh, is really is really similar, and it's just divided by language and convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually uh, I noticed it, and I I wasn't sure uh, what it was, but I I think Rachel shared something shared one of the articles that you wrote, and I was like, oh okay. This looks interesting, and I read it, and I was like, "Chris wrote." I didn't. E- I've never read anything that you've written before, uh, and I read it. I was like, "This is amazing." Why does Chris not write more? <laughs> now I know that you do. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Yeah, but it was great, and it made me want to read more. I wanted to continue reading uh, more of it. It was great. Yeah, we'll definitely have to link that below, so that way uh, everyone can check it out and make yeah. sure that they're getting getting behind it too. Yeah, <clears throat> oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Um, it, you and I, outside of the podcast, have talked a little bit about this, and uh, as I've well, I've been talking about it week to week, um, but just in that same vein of childhood and, and poetry and, and uh, coming to grips with different things as a parent, um, I, you know, I've talked to you a little bit about this kid's poetry book that I'm working on, mm. and um, just kind of seeing some of that start to take shape and to, and to come to life, um, but less of like the this was my experience as a, as a kid and more of as a parent now, like instilling wonder and imagination and Mm. fun and silliness and that, that continuing idea of to explore and and be adventurous, uh, is what I'm trying to kind of thread and weave throughout, um, this, this little book that I'm putting together. And, uh, um, so, so like, it's cool to hear that, uh, from you, you know, even though it's a little bit different talking about what holding on to your children and that idea of, of growing up with the good, the bad, and everything in between, um, I, I think it's cool to just to, to think about that idea as well as like, not only am I trying to hold on to my kids, letting them go when it's necessary, but also passing something on to them as mm-hmm. they as they develop uh, for, for good, for bad, for weird, for silly, whatever <laughs> it is, you know, that, that idea of... Uh, I'm also passing something on to them that hopefully that they can take and and grow from. And it, obviously, for me, the, the idea is that it will be beneficial. But regardless of that, that they will uh, have something that I've passed on to them 
that uh, that is momentous anyway that it propels them forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so for wh- I'm still working on the same stuff. I don't know. If, do you want an update on the stuff that I'm working on? Yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, it's been a little bit of a crazy week for me. Uh, and so, um, I actually have, uh, put those projects on a minor pause for this week as I'm learning more about, um, myself and some things that I am working through. And so I gave myself a week of, uh, not working on it and instead deciding to sort of sift through a couple of things on my own. Um, so that I'll be able to come back to it refreshed and, and be able to do the work that I need to do without um, sort of putting my own slant or bias on it. So what that looks like is um, me just taking care of myself and, and doing a lot of practical things for my own health and, um, you know, counseling, uh, therapy, and, um, and art, mostly, mostly music, mostly singing, um, and just uh, doing some of that, like, free writing, like we talked about in another episode. So um, that's kind of where I am. It's on a brief pause. I'll come back to it probably Monday. Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. We, uh, we've, uh, well, if for everyone listening, you can hear that our, our youngest son has been up since, uh, well, since about 5.15 uh, Chicago time. Chris, uh, being out there in uh, in Leeds is a, is about six hours ahead of us. So it's what about noon for you right now? Yeah, I'm gonna make myself a big sandwich after this. Big sandwich, nice. <laughs> I'm probably gonna have a bowl of Cheerios. So it's a little bit different. I'm not ready for a big sandwich yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you, thank you so much for joining us on this episode and just kind of talking through your creative journey. Uh, how art has impacted you and, and specifically with graphic design and, and even improv, just touching on that was really cool. Um, and not that I forgot that we've done that stuff together, but even just not, not thinking about how that has impacted uh, art and creativity. And now I'm like, I'm kind of doing that reverse timeline thing and thinking about my own story and just being like, oh yeah, I could see how that made an <laughs> impact in different ways, which I had never thought about before. Oh man, and, that's uh, awesome. So it's cool to kind of like see that realization uh, but Joy and I are super grateful for you, uh, your friendship, and just the opportunity to do this and, and talk through stuff. And um, where, uh, where where can people find you if they're interested in giving you a follow and checking out your work? Yeah, sure thing. So the easiest thing is uh, chriscampbell.com. Um, it's my website. It needs to be updated. Everybody feels that way, I'm sure, but mine really does. But it has <laughs> links to all my social. So the only other one I point people to normally is Instagram, which is um, – at Chris Campbell. So again, very simple. The only thing you need to know about my name is Campbell uh, is just like the soup, but it doesn't have any pee in it. So <laughs> that's uh, that's easiest way to remember it. So just Chris Campbell, no pee. Chris Campbell, no pee. Yeah. We will uh, we'll link all that below as well as long as uh, so liquid as. Right, so yeah, so yeah. Liquidas. Yeah, I mean, pronunciation, pronunciation is weird because I'm the only American I've ever heard say it. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, and yeah, I just probably butchered it completely. But uh, we'll have that. We'll have that link below too. Just check out um, some of your articles and some of the work that they're doing as well. And um, 
Uh, yeah. Uh, for those who are listening, anytime you want to reach out to the show, you can email us at stokethewild at gmail.com or check out our Instagram social media accounts. And uh, there's also a feature that I just realized I didn't even know it was there until recently. There's a feature on uh, on Anchor where we host our podcast where you can actually leave a recorded message and, and share it with us like you're leaving a voicemail for a phone. And so if you want to comment on, oh, your son was so crazy and wild on the show, you know, you can leave that voicemail for us and we can play it back on a future episode. We can listen to it. You can leave a voice message for us and it gives you a chance to interact with us as well. And um, uh, so so feel free to do that <laughs> and uh, we can explore different different options and ideas for how we how we do the show as well. Uh, follow Joy at uh, at J.M. Dirtinger and you can follow my personal page as well at Nick Dirtinger. Uh, art and uh, for more and to keep track of some of the projects that we're working on so uh, I think that's the show thank you guys for listening oh Joy uh, said that Elo is going to say hi real quick before we close everybody ready ready now put these on oh yeah you can hear him there okay what you do this can you say hello no, don't put it in your mouth. Just say hello. <laughs> you say hi. Hi, Daddy. Hi, buddy. Hi, Mom. Hi, Elo. Hi, Daddy. What's up, dude? Hi. hi. I live with your headphones. Yeah. yeah, you're listening with the headphones? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Say see you later. No. Okay. <laughs> say bye-bye. No. All right, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>